Hello and welcome to another week of Nordic Corner in another dead week for the actual Slow Ride podcast. I am your host, Nate Chenenko from yet again, cloudy Rochester, New York. Uh, although I did spend the last roughly week driving around the Northeast United States and Ontario, Canada, trying to find some snow, which did end up being successful. I spent most of the week in Lake Placid skiing the World Cup 3K loop, which is unfortunately for me in my early season training, one of the hardest 3K courses in the world that the World Cup does. Uh, and it was the only thing they had open because they had snowmaking on it. Uh, but nevertheless, had a great time and was there just in time to see the beginning of the Tour de Ski. So the FIS Tour de Ski is cross-country skiing's very uh, weak answer to the cycling Tour de France, Grand Tours, you know, Volta, Giro, etc. The Tour de Ski used to be a lot longer. Now it's a lot shorter because the athletes complain about being tired. Uh, and on some other cross-country ski podcasts where like actual athletes know actual things about the sport, they complain about how the Tour de Ski is watered down. But it's still pretty fun nevertheless. So we'll do a little brief recap of the Tour de Ski. And then we will cover the highlights of that event. Um, I'll have some complaints and then we'll do a little mailbag and then we'll be, and then you'll finally be done with me and you can be back to the normal slow ride podcast next week, I assume. So the tour de ski has seven stages across nine days. So they started in Toblock, which is like way up North in Italy. And they had a sprint on the first day. And this was in the freestyle technique. And some of the audience feedback that we got from cyclists who don't know anything about Nordic skiing, of which I was one like not that long ago, uh, were to give a little more background information. So in attempt to do that, there are two techniques that they compete in in cross-country skiing. There's, It's kind of like swimming, how when you watch swimming in the Olympics or rarely when it's on TV, there's the different strokes and so swimming has backstroke, breaststroke, and then freestyle, and then butterfly. And freestyle, like you can choose any of them, but everybody does it the same way, like the front crawl. And that's the fastest one. So that's the one everybody chooses. Cross country skiing is the same way. So there's only two strokes, though there's classic. And that's like the one that you see people cruising around in your local park, one foot in front of the other looks like they're walking with a little glide worked in there. Um, the skis are pretty long. The pulls are pretty short. The speeds are generally lower. Classic skiing is like what you think about when you think about cross-country skiing. It's like you can do it in the golf course. It's very inexpensive to get into. It's a nice way to get outside in the winter. You don't need groom trails or anything. Um, the other technique is called skate, which is when you look at the at the World Cup level, that falls into the freestyle technique. And this was actually invented by a North American, Bill Koch, a long time ago. I don't remember when, 70s or something. And he went on to like dominate pretty much because he invented this faster technique. And then they kind of regulated him out of existence, Chris Boardman style. And um, but but then it became its own technique. So now they're competed separately. And skating is a lot faster, uses shorter skis, longer poles, and it looks like you're speed skating or skating on hockey skates, but you're on skis and you can push with your arms. It's 
I, I, it's the only one I'm actually good at the classic skiing. I'm just dreadful at. So anyways, the, the sprints in toe block were in the freestyle technique. So they were skate sprints, which usually favors the U S athletes. There's a stereotype that the U S is relatively good at skating, uh, versus classic skiing and other countries, like especially Finland just crushes at classic skiing. So the skate sprints in toe block, the course I find to be pretty boring. It's kind of just a big oval. The only really noteworthy thing about the toe block sprint course is that it goes up over a building. Um, so it, it's not at all like that ridiculous urban cross race in cyclocross. Uh, but the stadium, the toe block Nordic stadium building is shaped like a really shallow arch shape. And it's got big doors. So you can walk through the building to get to the course start line. And I don't know if there's offices in there, if you can watch from in there or something, but you can ski over the building. So I, I don't know if that's cool, but it's at least kind of unique. I don't think there are other races that have that same dynamic. And the women's sprint was pretty exciting. The U.S. did okay, not as well as I think we were hoping to do. Um, Jesse Diggins did not make the final, um, but did perform pretty well. The tour de ski, the way that they calculate points for the tour de ski is like just absolutely absurd and it's super complicated. So I'm not even going to try to explain it because I don't even really totally understand it myself. But the better you do at each stage, the better your overall standings are in the tour de ski. So they take your position in a sprint race and they turn that into like a time gap. So if you win the sprint, I think you get like a minute bonus or something in the overall tour to ski time standings, which I think is pretty meaningful. Um, so Jesse Diggins did pretty well. The funny thing about women sprinting right now is that, well, this isn't really a new thing, but the Swedish women are just dominant in the sprint and can consistently put like four or five, maybe even six women in a final of six people. And the other funny thing that I find about this is that Jonas Sundling, who's one of the best Swedish sprinters and has been like has an amazing record going back many years in sprinting one of her biggest rivals is christine stava skistad from norway skistad is super tall and looks like she's going half speed but she's so her stroke is so long that she often just crushes people and she is tactically pretty good and has a pretty good finish so Sunling will almost always every year try to go out and like put a ton of time gap into ski stud before the finish. And then ski stud just comes back and dusts Sunling in the final stretch. And this happened a bunch last year and it's happened a, a few times already this year. And it happened again in one of the semifinals, but then Sunling finally figured it out and um, ended up just staying in the pack with Skistad and it worked out well for her because she finished second in the final and Skistad finished third. So that maybe Sunling is like finally figuring out some like in cycling, I guess what we would call fairly basic tactics. Like if you are, if somebody, if you're taking a big lead and you're going out ahead and you're not in the draft and in the pack, and then you get swallowed up on the finish straight every time, maybe like don't do that anymore. So I'm glad that somebody has finally told her how to do it. On the men's side, the Tour de Ski already like huge shakeup even before the starting line. So our boy Johannes Hustlot Klabo 
I'm going to try to say this better, mostly because Leif has been commenting on it. Um, the To be slightly more Norwegian with my pronunciation, it is Klabo. And so he's sick. He has the flu. And Simon Kruger, Simon Hextat Kruger, who won the Tour de Ski last year, also has the flu, and he is also out. This is like something that you just don't really hear about happening in bike racing a whole lot. I think I just can't remember the last time that like a huge favorite for the Tour de France missed the Tour de France because they were sick. Um, but definitely happens all the time in cross country skiing. Maybe they're just soft. I don't really know. Uh, the sprint race was awesome on the men's side. Shanavat won. He's French. Jules Chapaz finished second. He's also French. And then Ben Ogden, who is American, finished third. So that was his first ever World Cup podium. He's like one of the great American hopes. Um, not really any huge developments in the next day's racing, which was a 10K interval start classic race. So that's like that striding technique that you're probably more familiar with seeing. Not really any huge developments with that race. Uh, Kirtu Niskanen won. One of my favorite names. I love the first name Kirtu spelled K-E-R-T-T-U. Just an excellent Finnish name. And that gave me inspiration for a future Nordic corner when there's like another week off after the tour to ski, then we'll do an all name team. Um, but huge, yeah, huge for Kirtu Niskanen. Jesse Diggins finished third for the Americans on the men's side. Mm, not really super exciting, but Ben Ogden also had a really good day on the men's side, finished top 10. I can't remember his exact place, but finished top 10. And then the whole thing wrapped up with the stupidest possible format in cross-country skiing, which is the pursuit. So because this is a grand tour, like let's just draw a parallel to cycling. Yeah, I'm sure you all listeners know in the time trials and grand tours, everybody loves a good time trial, of course. They start in reverse order of their standings in the grand tour. So let's say it's the final time trial and Pogacar is winning the tour. He starts last in, you know, I guess he'd be in the yellow Jersey at that point and he starts last and it kind of encourages you to like stick around and watch until the very end. And then the, like see the winner come through all the time checks and, Oh, he's up or she's up or he's up or she's down. And, um, and it's pretty exciting the pursuit that they do in cross-country skiing is almost literally the opposite of that. So they take your tour to ski standings by time, and then they start you in that order. So if you're winning the tour to ski by 30 seconds, you get a 30 second head start. And then you, the next person, if they're, you know, 30 seconds behind you, they start 30 seconds and then 20 seconds. And then eventually the gaps tighten up as you get further down, because there's like slightly more parity at the lower levels and everybody kind of starts in a big pack. And like, it does create some interesting dynamics where some clumps of racers will group up on the course and then work together to try to catch the leader. So the leader goes out like a rabbit and then everybody else can try to catch them. But also like, it's just overly complicated and dumb. And it, it ends up sort of serving as a mass start for like most of the peloton if you want to call them the peloton or the pack or the bunch or whatever but then you'll have like three or four leaders just dangling out front and the peloton can't really see them so they're really hard to it's really hard to bring back the leaders um so needless to say i'm not a huge fan of the pursuit the men's pursuit was quite boring ben ogden who had been crushing the tour to ski 
and got that podium and then finished well in the 10k classic he started pretty early and then just got nuked and just like totally exploded and ended up finishing way down minutes down um so he almost certainly cannot win the tour de ski at this point but did get a good performance from gus schumacher in that race the women's side was exciting only because i'm american and jesse diggins got the head start because she was not leading the tour de ski but um in a good position in the tour de ski. So she got a big head start and went out way in front and got about a minute gap and then just hung on until the very end and stayed with her minute gap. So she won the race. Um, unless you go to the actual results where she did win, she was the first one across the line. It took her the least amount of time because of the head start. But for some reason, Fis has decided that the way that you score these things is based on like the best time of the day. So imagine my surprise when I go to the podium picker to see how I did uh, spoiler alert real bad. And Jesse Diggins is not the winner, even though she did absolutely win. Astrodor Slind, who's one of my favorite Norwegian women's racers because she almost always races in a short sleeve skin suit. Um, whereas everybody else wears long sleeve. She's the winner. Frida Carlson in second. Heidi Vang also from Norway in third. Such a stupid way to do the results. Like, it's crazy that the first person to cross the line is not actually the winner. I get it. I, like, I can intellectually understand what they're up to. I can do math. I'm not an idiot. But, like, it is so bad. And on the podium picker, they don't tell you this, on the podium picker, which I've com I complained about last week, they have it listed as a 25K pursuit. And in fact, it was 20K. And then in the category, they have like, it's like a little tag, like almost like a little hashtag on this website. It says it's in the 30K category, which it's also not. And they did kind of change it. They were supposed to do a different course. So they might've had it in the system as 20. It's just sloppy. They're just, it's trash. They don't know what they're doing. The podium picker is terrible. Uh, I would like to say thank you, special thank you to Leo Black Label, um, who, who is the only other person to have joined the Nordic Corner Fist Podium Picker League, which is league number 3832. Um, I, you guys should not join. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's such a bad, such a bad system. Um, so pursuit races are stupid. The podium picker is even stupider. Thanks, Leo, for picking up on the uh, on the podium picker, even though it is just dreadful. There will be more racing on Wednesday the 3rd, which is in Davos in Switzerland. And so they go up to altitude and there will be another freestyle sprint. And then there will be a Pursuit Classic, which I'm not looking forward to. And for that one, the Pursuit is based only, it's not based on your tour to ski time. I'm pretty sure it's based solely on your position in the sprint race so they can't even be consistent like not only do they have this ridiculous stupid format the pursuit but they can't even be consistent with how you start so that time i don't think the pursuit starts based on your tour to ski um standings at the time i think it just starts based on how you finished in the sprint um my picks are already blown out i i got clubo on top of the podium for davos here and he's not even starting because he's sick so I'm, I got, I got no chance. Um, maybe I'll have to adjust my picks, but let's go to the mailbag. We did get a lot of positive feedback from the mailbag. Um, and we'll go in 
in no particular order here, but we got a nice email from Amanda Nauman, fellow Slow Ride Pod. I don't even know if I can call her a fellow host because I'm not actually on the Slow Ride podcast. I just fake it periodically. Uh, but Amanda had really good questions in here and some good ideas to understand better what's going on in the future. So I'm going to come back to this email and answer one of these questions that I'll pick at random with no preparation. But Amanda sent in like five to seven ideas. So we've got plenty of content for future future Nordic Corners. Um, we've got a nice email from Timothy Gailey, who lives in Albany, New York. So basically, if you don't live in New York, you just shouldn't even... You're the only people who care about this podcast have connections to New York State. So love that. Um, thank you, Timothy, for writing in. Timothy's talking about the bad weather and lack of snow in this area. We got an email from Rogue Trail, which says, awesome job. Please remember, we don't know shit about this sport. You say you don't know anything. We know less. Tell us even more basic stuff. So uh, to Mr. or Mrs. Rogue Trail, I'm trying to deliver on that. Uh, Rogue Trail's email signature also says this device is not secure in all caps. So I appreciated that very much. We got a nice email from Caitlin Curtin. Uh, who says, I enjoy Nordic Corner, and then has a question about whether Nordic Racing is on YouTube. And uh, unreliably, it is on YouTube. Like, in the same way that you can watch old cyclocross races on YouTube, you can watch old cross-country ski races on YouTube. You really got to get on that ski and snowboard.live if you want to watch the races. If somebody wants to, like, log into ski and snowboard.live using my password and then download them and put them on YouTube and deal with the copyright issues, you're more than welcome to do that. But I don't have the technological savvy to take that on. But thank you, Caitlin, for your feedback. We got Thomas Lorimore here who says, I'm an episode or two back due to the birth of our first kid. Congratulations, Thomas. I assume you will be naming this kid something appropriate, like maybe little Federico Pellegrino or little Jan Thomas Jensen or something. Uh, wanted you to know that I love Nordic Corner. Thank you again. I don't know anything about Nordic skiing, nor do I particularly care, but I love the updates all the same. And then we got some feedback to add some technical information and drama about how this sport is ridiculous the same way bike racing is. Um, so yeah, hopefully my hatred of the pursuit race addresses this. And then we will definitely be introducing some more of the drama to come there. But one piece of drama that you may appreciate is that Jesse Diggins, who at this moment is probably the favorite to win the tour de ski on the women's side. Uh, the warm-up track in toe block was super icy. And they asked Jesse Diggins in the post-race interview, and I guess she had like a real nasty crash and slid way down this icy track and broke either one or multiple poles doing that before the race. So it was like kind of shaken up beforehand. And this is not the first incident with an icy track that they've had. There was a lot of complaining about the, uh, conditions and setup for the teams in Tron time where the world championships are. And actually this, actually this touches Thomas on one of your earlier comments here, the, so in cycling, they're smart enough to do a world championships every year. So you always have something to get excited about, but in cross country skiing, the world championships are only every other year. They are smart enough, however, to stagger those with Olympic years. So at least you don't have the Olympics and the world championships in the same year. So this is an even year, non-Olympic year. So there is no world championships there. 
uh, the world championships are in odd years. So there was one earlier that like in winter 2023 um, where the world championships was in Slovenia. And that was awesome. And there will be another one in 2025, uh, but there's not one in 2024. And then in 2026, they'll do the Olympics. So like, let's say that, okay, so let's say you're FIS and you've got this sort of cornerstone event, the world championships that people get excited about. No, you definitely wouldn't want to do that every year, right? Like you certainly would not want to get revenue from having a world championships every year. You better do it every other year. It makes total sense to me. I think it's, they're just ridiculous. They don't know what they're doing. Um, Roy Bomer from Norway. This is very exciting. And this is really going to expose how little I know about cross-country skiing because now we have actual Norwegians writing in here who like live. Roy says he lives in Oslo. Uh, says, nice corner you have going there. Slow Ride Podcast was not where I was looking for my cross-country updates. Still isn't, but I truly enjoy Norway Corner or Nordic Corner, excuse me. As all my true Norwegian countrymen, I celebrate any attention our national sport gets outside Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Russia. So we root for the US team as long as we beat you on a regular basis. Roy, I'm not sure how that's going for you this year on the women's side. On the men's side, let's just not talk about that. Forget that exists. But on the women's side, I feel like we're kind of crushing. Um, if the goal is to take over the pod during winter, you have to start somewhere. There's some aspects of cross-country skiing and the connection to cycling you could put more emphasis on. I'll mention a few. Tor Hushoft, the Credi Agricole sprinter of Slow Ride podcast fame, was a decent cross-country skier in his youth, top 15 in Norway among fellow 15 to 16-year-olds. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Good connection there. Roy says he tried to find him in pictures of him in a Credi Agricole ski suit and could not do so. Klabo who rejected the offer to join the national team. I'm back to the email now. Klebo, who joined the, who rejected the offer to join the national team, which is material for a spin-off podcast in itself, has a deal with Uno X, and thus also the Norwegian Pro Continental team who raced in the Tour de France. Uh, that is a fact. He has Uno X on his skin suit. Uh, another connection to Uno X and Visma is that the ski classics, which are like the... I forgot the, uh, the like the lifetime Grand Prix of cross-country skiing. They're like the super long, honestly quite boring point-to-point uh, -point marathon races, that the kind of which I like to do. They are sponsored by Visma, which some of you may know is a small Norwegian software company. So that's another connection. And then Roy also mentions the connections between FIT or the similarities between FIS and the UCI when it comes to promoting the sport in the best interest for someone, although not always clear for whom. I know exactly who they're promoting the interests of. It is the people who run FIS. Um, then Roy also put in another note about a different podcast that we'll touch on next week. So great feedback there, but I want to go to Amanda Nauman's email who has a bunch of questions, one of which is about snow conditions. And Amanda's question is, are snow conditions like dirt conditions? So we will cover this topic and then we will wrap up for this week. Uh, snow conditions are totally like dirt conditions, at, but you got to have a really wide spectrum ranging from like almost like road cycling all the way to like a muddy, sloppy cyclocross race. Um, so I'll just take my preferred cross-country ski venue here in western New York where I live, which is Harriet Hollister Spencer State Park. They couldn't name it enough names, evidently. Um, and this park has literally a road that goes from a gate that you can't drive past 
up to the top of a pretty steep hill. And then there's some camping areas and stuff up there. And then there's a whole bunch of more like single track ski trails back off of that point. And they groom all of this in the winter. Some of them are extremely narrow. Some of them are pretty wide. The road is really wide. It's, um, it's one lane in each direction, but it's, it's got a shoulder because it's New York state and all our roads have shoulders. Um, so it's really like two lanes in each direction, super, super wide. They cut half of, they cut a little less than half of it out for snowmobiles. And then the rest of it is for cross country skiing. And I pleased to say that I have the Strava, uh, KOM time for this road that goes up to the top of Harriet Hollister. And I said it years ago, but, and I was even worse at cross country skiing then simply because it was like solid ice. And so it had been through a bunch of freeze thaw cycles. It's on solid ice. There are like different, even different skis that you use in conditions like that, that have very low camber. So they sit really flat to the snow or the ice in this case. So you get like a little bit better edge hold. Um, and it was like, it was almost like ice skating. So I, I have the KOM for that, which is, has nothing to do with my fitness and simply that I happened to be there on a day that conditions were super, super fast. So it was, it was like skiing on the road, which you unfortunately can do. And I hate doing, um, so that's like one end of the spectrum. And the way that you prepare for that is you would put a really small basket on your poles. You would use those skis that are really low camber. They would have basically no structure to the base. So just a, a very linear, like really, really shallow structure. You wax with a really cold wax. So like a dark blue or green wax in that case. And then you just try not to crash and tear yourself up on the ice. Um, the other end of the spectrum is like what I was skiing on last week where it was 48 degrees and raining. And so in that case, it's a totally different technique. You have to pick your feet way up. It's like sloppy and slushy underfoot. The snow almost kind of turns to sugar and it's really hard to step. You put a bigger basket on the pole, you get a ski. I don't have this many skis, but if I was on the world cup, I would get a ski that has really, really high camber because you don't want so much drag through all of that snow when you're gliding. Um, but you still want the ski to flex down so you can get a good push when you're trying to climb up the hill, especially, uh, and the way you wax it, we can get into more of that later, but the way you wax it is like almost completely the opposite. You put a ton of structure in it. When there's a lot of moisture in the snow, the, the moisture can almost cause some suction that causes the ski to stick to the snow a little bit more than it otherwise would or should. So it doesn't glide quite as much as like it it's, it's like the surface tension of the water sucks it down. So you put a ton of structure in the ski to break up the water, the surface tension of the water, you use a really warm wax, like a yellow wax. There's a bunch of stuff they used to put in the wax that we can talk about at a later date. Um, I think the, like the best equivalent is probably picking cyclocross tires. So if you're racing on an ice track, like they, you know, there's like those old Niels Albert Svennies races when they would race on ice, then you end up with a tire that maybe you wouldn't really expect, but like a foul tread tire to maximize your surface area. Whereas when you're in the mud, which is more like a really soft, slow, warm, sloppy snow day, then you pick a mud tire with 
really widespread treads that are super deep. So it is, it is, I guess there's a corollary to dirt conditions or mud conditions, but um, it's, it's just like such a different ball. Like you're not hunting for grip, you're hunting for speed and you're trying to get the right combination of like surface area and drag on the ski uh, and it makes a huge difference, like skiing. The, the, there's a reason that they don't keep records for ski races. Like nobody keeps, no, you never, I, I watch this stuff every week or every day if I can. And nobody cares how fast they did it last year because the snow conditions are just like completely different. Um, and as I said, if somebody slow like me can be the KOM holder in an area that has some pretty strong skiers, like there's really no excuse for that other than the snow conditions. So it is shockingly different. You end up having a bag full of different equipment. Luckily it's a lot cheaper and easier to travel with a bunch of different pairs of skis and like a box full of wax than it is to travel with like half a dozen to a dozen different sets of zip three or threes with like tubular dugasts on them, um, which I could never afford to do. So it's a lot more affordable and easier to manage. And, you know, if you don't like your ski setup you can change it in your hotel room the night before the race to to it and get most of the way there you wouldn't win a world cup doing that but you can get most of the way there um whereas in cycling if you show up to a muddy race and you have no mud tires like you're in trouble um so that's kind of, that's kind of part of the appeal and hopefully that answers one of those questions but great to have this long list of other questions again we gave a little preview to davos i'm not going to pick people because this has gone on quite long enough already um but we got the next two days of the tour to ski coming up. Then they have another off day and then they go up uh, to the Alp Tremise and they do the final climb, which I actually find quite fun. So that'll be on the next edition of Nordic Corner. So signing off from cloudy Rochester, New York, this is Nate Chenenko. And please comment in and ask more questions. I will do my best to answer them. Thanks, everyone. There's an elegance to bike racing. For all its technology and engineering, it's a simple question of physics. How do you move a body through space as quickly and efficiently as possible? When the rider and the machine work as one, it's almost as if the solid world has melted away and all that remains is the spirit, the pure, raw, and unfiltered soul of sport. Life is measured in many units, miles, kilometers, kilos, and pounds, but we measure it one corner at a time. We've entered the golden age of crit racing, the most exciting spectator event in sport, where all of human drama plays out before us on our city streets. On this show, we bring you the news of the day and take you inside the personalities of the teams and riders and right up to the gates of the premier events in the world. Welcome to Criterium Nation.